everybody. Welcome to the Saligo Technology Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jordan. I'm joined by Mark Simon, the VP of Strategy over here at Saligo, my excellent co-host, as well as Barry Enderwick, the genius and sandwich king behind the Sandwiches of History, Instagram, TikTok, Reddit, Patreon, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, you've probably seen him somewhere making uh, sandwiches from history from about the 1850s on to, I'd say, about the 1970s. Um, not only does he know how to make sandwiches and sandwiches of history, but he is also um, an ex-Netflix executive responsible for a ton of their growth um, and as well now works at Kaizen Creative Studios um, with some pretty interesting projects that he hinted at before the podcast that hopefully we can get into. Uh, Barry, welcome. Great to have you. Thank you. Great to be here. Very exciting. Oh. Yeah, Fantastic. welcome. Thanks for joining. Yeah. So, Barry, you're a prolific man um, with a pretty prolific career. Um, in doing some research, uh, and I spent a couple hours of research because I wanted to make sure that um, guests had a pretty good uh, idea of you and, and kind of your background, because I, I think it ties in to a lot of what you're doing on social media. But, um, you know, there's this kind of like Silicon Valley, like the TV show, this ideal of, of early businesses that just got incredibly huge and now became an everyday part of our lives, whether that's Facebook, whether that's Netflix. Um, what was it like at the, uh, the early days of Netflix? Because you were there, uh, if I'm correct, in the mailing DVD days. That's that's correct. I joined in, uh, I was hired in April of 2001. They had just converted from uh, a la carte DVD subscription uh, to, for a la carte DVD rentals to subscription in about, probably about a year and a, a year and four months before. Um, when I joined the company, there was 150 people. We had layoffs, went down to 75 people. Um, and it was, it, <clears throat> it was, excuse me, it was quite exciting. It was an exciting time to be there. I mean, obviously when you're in the middle of doing something, you're not really thinking, you don't have a historical lens on it. So it, it was just, for me, it was like, I'm joining this startup during a, the dot-com implosion. Um, and a lot of friends and family were like, are you really doing this? And, I, you know, to me, yes, because I had actually experienced the product and realized how unbelievably customer centric it was um, and how unbelievably uh, bi diametrically opposed it is, was to Blockbuster and how they treated customers. Um, so for me, it was very much a, I think this could eat Blockbuster lunch. And it was more, it was partly a passion. Interesting. I, I like to hear that. I'm, I'm sitting surrounded by a, a stereo from the 1970s. I have tapes and records. And despite all of that equipment and despite all of that hardware, um, I still use Spotify. Um, I'm still using Bluetooth. Um, and so I can kind of see why you uh, why you adopted early on. Um, in doing my research, uh, you grew your subscriber base from 300,000, which uh, is obviously an impressive number to start with, um, to 26 million. And that is a obscenely impressive number to end with mm -hmm. um and you know obviously netflix is different than saligo but i think as saligo um kind of grows into that massive enterprise scale obviously we're b2b versus b2c mm -hmm. um but I, i'm curious like what you picked up um along the way like what not only what do you think drove such massive growth other than it being a great product um but why well i think uh first of all it was very much again positioned to be customer centric blockbuster would charge late fees pun punish you if you were late we let you keep three dvds as long as you want shipping was included so it's easier than going down to the store all these all those different reasons but um there are certain inflection points and one of them was and i, I think it was 2004 2000 actually no 2005 
Um, up until a certain point, we had just been doing whatever it took to get customers signed up. We didn't really think about brand at all. And then around 2005, our, our, our VP of marketing then became C CMO, Leslie Kilgore, uh, decided we needed to figure out what our brand positioning needed to be. Who were we? Who did we need to be for people to say, yes, we'd like to give you money and we'd like to continue doing business with you. Um, so we needed to figure out what role we played in people's lives. Why, do, why, why should they choose us as opposed to going to Blockbuster or a, a, a video store near them? And we did a ton of research with both customers. And because before we did the research, we did a survey with our members. And basically what they came back and said was, you're an efficient vending machine. And no one, no one builds a brand relationship with an efficient vending machine. And someone could build a better machine, a more well-equipped machine. So that wasn't really going to be enough to, to hold on to folks. And so we did this research with our, our members and with non-members. And we realized that if we could occupy the space of movie enjoyment made easy in people's lives, if we could, if we could drive towards that in everything we did in our language, how we spoke, how we uh, visually represented ourselves, uh, our service, our service improvements, uh, our ops, our customer service. If we could do that, we would actually have a unique space uh, to occupy and people would actually start to build a connection. And so we would do things like, instead of having people call to cancel, which was just absolutely the standard at the time, um, we switched to two clicks to cancel on the website. And people were just like, they, they were blown away. And on our exit surveys, likelihood to recommend and likelihood to return rates shot way up because they couldn't believe that, that a, a company was just like, yeah, you're canceling, you've got your reasons, help us understand why. But when you come back, if you decide to come back, we'll have your DVD queue waiting for you. You don't have to worry about it, um, that kind of thing. And, and so you start to build this. And, you know, the other thing is we were counterpositioned within the mailbox, if you think about it. Everything you got in the mail was either junk mail or bills. And here's this red little present that comes. It's a, it's entertainment. Um, and so people were excited to get our product in the mail as opposed to everything else that was in the mail. But for me, the, the brand the brand research and, and figuring out who we needed to be uh, and what we needed to solve in our customers' lives was uh, a, a big differentiator, especially because we didn't actually make the content. There was no original content back then. It was other people's stuff. And we couldn't use that stuff. Uh, we, like we had to get approvals to use cover art. <laughs> that was the best we could do. We could not get actors. We could not get scenes. We could not get any of that stuff to work with because the studios all had it locked down. Interesting. That's wild. Go ahead, Mark. Now, now, now Barry, uh, you know, you mentioned inflection points there, and this being one of them. When you were going through that at that point, when you're shifting to focus on brand, did you did you know that was an inflection point? Did you realize it at the time? Or is it only is, is it only something you see you see in hindsight? You know, what, what was it like to actually go through that? Was it just a, another day in the life of, of Netflix, so to speak? Well, I mean, to be honest, it wasn't. There's no guarantees, <laughs> but I can say that uh, our, our CMO, uh, Leslie Kilgore, was nothing if not highly analytical and thorough. And so we did a thorough vetting of this concept um, and, 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 and thorough vetting of the research to really understand that if we do this, this is going to be meaningful. Now, when I say we focused on brand, uh, we focused on building a cohesive brand, one that would, that like if you spoke to someone in customer service, you knew that you were talking to someone from Netflix. If you uh, dealt with someone on uh, in operations, you knew you were de dealing with Netflix, just to kind of create this cohesive brand. That was the idea. But 
in marketing, everything was still, everything was measured. Everything had to perform. Uh, everything, you know, if we, if, if somebody could spend money more efficiently in a different channel, it was shifted to them. Uh, with there was no ego involved with it. It's like I can't get I can't get trials for that CPA. Um, here you take the fifty thousand dollars because you can get more. So we we still were focused on the metrics, um, but the idea was while we're focused on the metrics, let's focus also on making sure that our messaging is is right, our topography is right, our color is right, um, our tone and voice is right, um, so that we're fulfilling that brand position. Awesome, it's a great answer. You, you don't like you don't know one hundred percent. Like I didn't, I couldn't have told you when it, when we were like, okay, this is our brand position. I could not at that point have said, this is going to work. I could say <clears throat> with a high degree of confidence, I think this is going to work because we've done a lot of research and we've done a lot of analysis on it. So, um, mm. but yeah, it's, it's tough to know. There, there are other moments in the company's history where you knew, like when streaming launched, it was just like, we knew that that was going to be changing everything. And it, we, we knew that we were going to catch a lot of people by surprise. That's awesome. Um, so I'm going to change gears a little bit. Um, Soligo is an, an integration platform as a service company, and we help businesses connect their applications. Um, mm -hmm. And something that I find interesting about um, Netflix from pretty early on is whether you had an LG or a Vizio or a Sony or a Pioneer or whatever you had, it Netflix seem to value um, the importance of simple integration where it's a similar UI, similar UX, and then you can pretty much access it. Um, you know, obviously now with smart TVs, it's directly built in, you know, maybe 10, five years ago, you had to use Amazon Fire Stick or, or uh, mm -hmm. like a Roku or something like that to make your TV smart. Mm -hmm. um, how did, and obviously you're on the marketing side, so you know, you're not in there building these integrations, but to what extent did you see them as important? They were critical. I mean, I just did a post on LinkedIn not too long ago about the the idea of uh, strategy and using it. And, and Mark, I'm sure you'll this will resonate with you. Is the idea of using it as a way to keeping the company nimble and moving towards what's next. Um, and what you're talking about there, where we were on Blu-ray players, uh, smart TVs, everything that was coming out, that was a strategy of uh, device ubiquity. And so what happened was streaming when it launched was only available on a PC. That was it. And then we moved to, and to be fair, like the content wasn't great. The picture quality wasn't great, but we knew that we were going to be improving that as we went along. So as we did, then Mac came into the picture. Then we were on the, the next, the next big three things that we could do, uh, the, the PlayStation, Xbox, and Wii. And then the idea was we're going to have to get into more people's homes. So let's build a Netflix box. Let's build a streaming player. And so we brought Anthony Wood in, the guy who figured out, who uh, invented DVRs, and I had him in-house, and he was designing this, this Netflix player. And uh, we got down to the point where I was shooting promotional videos for it, and in Spokane, actually, um, and got a call back saying, hey, we have an all-hands tomorrow with Reed, uh, and where he proceeded to say, we're not making the Netflix player uh, because we want to be, a, if we want to be on all devices, we can't be out there making hardware that competes with all devices. So that's how we're going to spin that out as part of Roku. And that's how the Roku player came to be. Um, but the idea was get device ubiquity. And to your point of having it be, uh, you know, same interface, it, the idea was this is Netflix. No matter where you are, we're going to have to make accommodations for certain devices. But no matter where you are, you needed to know that this was Netflix. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. I'm, I'm, Mark, I'm sure you align quite a bit with the uh, the strategy side of, of that. Yeah, definitely. You know, this remind so much of this reminds me of something that, that's always seemed to hold true, which is if you move oftentimes with a business, you don't know which direction to go at times or especially at some of those inflection points. You don't realize you're like, should you? but if you move towards more agility or being more open as an organization, it almost always holds you in good stead. It almost always ends up working. Like if if you're more, whereas if you if you narrow if you if you remove options off the table, that seems to, you know, the outcome can differ a lot more. But if you if you trend towards that agility, you're you're constantly moving to be more flexible. It it seems to, you know, handle the the ever changing you know the ever changing environment better. Right. And that's that's one thing that impressed me about Reed uh, and his leadership was he he was constantly trying to like, here's what's going to be happening in the next five years. Here's what we think is going to be happening. And it's based on this this data. Um, so when I joined Netflix, he had he was already thinking about streaming uh, when we were doing streaming. He was already thinking about how do we expand it within the streaming space? And then once we expanded in the space, then it's like, how do we get to original content? There was this constant like we need to keep uh discovering what's a uh, move to what's next first um so that we can be ahead of the game so that's a that's a really fantastic point and and mark kind of just well to what both of you said is that's why saligo we have what 200 integrations there's no reason not to mm -hmm. include a platform that someone probably wants to integrate or uses in some way just the more ubiquitous you can be the more platforms that you can connect with or occupy in this in the case of netflix just more consumers can be more happy so i'm um, that really resonates. Um, yeah, at, at, at a certain point, you, it becomes like if you've got like 200 uh, integrations, uh, then you start to get into how do you curate and and facilitate uh, because that can that can possibly be overwhelming for someone to sift through. So it, it gives um, the like yes, you've got all these great number, a huge number of integrations. Now you've got someone something else to to think about next if you don't already do it. Um, in, in curation so yeah where's the next problem how do and how do you keep striving for that be that better experience right ultimately yeah yeah so um we kind of covered netflix and i, and I want to switch to your current goal which is kaizen creative partnerships mm -hmm. um which when we were talking a little bit before uh, you you said that it's a a more fun or a more modern or a more updated um version of videos that uh, companies or trainees need to watch. Um, and I'm sure yeah. I'm probably not phrasing that in your perfect marketing terms, but tell us a little bit about that and, and kind of how that's going so far. Well, I, I would say Kaizen Creative Partnership is is what we focused on primarily has been brand positioning, research-based brand positioning, messaging. Um, we also do things like competitive analysis and things like that. But we're also creative. Um, and so we've been, uh, one of the projects we've been, uh, working on this year is some annual required training for a, a large company that I can't talk about. Um, but it's the, the kind of required training that everyone sits through and everyone hates cause it's terribly acted. It's poorly done. Um, and our approach is to make it more like a Netflix show and make it more interesting and engaging and dynamic. Um, and it's proven successful. Um, my partner, business partner did it for, a, a a different large company um and both have been written up in the wall street journal so looks like i might have to uh, <laughs> renew that subscription and see if i can figure out who barry's talking about i don't know um, hey, ahead, hey, hey, barry you mentioned brand positioning and that, that brings up something interesting and, and i i wanted to ask you 
in your experience working with that and, and across companies, when, when, when do you think an organization should focus on that? Because I've seen so many different approaches, right? I see some companies, they can have five people, 10 people, and they think about brand and they're really focused and they start building brand very early. And then other ones just focus on product or their service and they, and they get out there to, to a certain scale and almost like, oh, wait, and now we got to think about it. And it's this afterthought. Where's the, where's, how do you know when is, is a company to focus on brand? When, when's too early? When's too late? When's the right, what's the right time to do that? I mean, it, yeah, that's a good question because it, it, you're right that people can get caught out. Um, and, you know, to some extent, I, I see the argument for not worrying about brand if things are going gangbusters. For me, it's, it's if, once a company finds product market fit, like there's a good inflow of customers, a, a decreasing outflow of customers, that's a that's really a great time. And that's actually what we did at Netflix. We got to a certain point and it was like, okay, we're doing well. We're not, we're not our churn rate is going down. Our customers, our ac customer acquisition rate is going up. Our CPAs are going down. Now we need to figure out what do we need to be so we can get to the next uh, level, the next group of, of potential subscribers. So for me, it's it's once you have product market fit, because before if you do it before you have product product market fit, it's kind of a waste of money and a waste of energy uh, and focus. Hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You end up building a brand for something that may not fit or. Uh, you, you end up building a, perhaps the wrong brand and ends up being out of alignment with, with what your product ends up being to, to get the fit you're looking for. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the later, the longer you wait to do it, the harder it gets or, or the more expensive it gets, <laughs> right? Cause implementation of, of a, of a brand, a repositioning at a larger company is going to take a lot of effort and a lot of time. It's a, uh, I think. That's probably part of the reason that I was brought to Saligo. We had a pretty quiet presence on social media. It's kind of been my goal to build out the brand voice, build out kind of like the, just what people think of Saligo when they're reading, watching, interacting. Um, and it, it just rings true exactly to what you said. Yeah. Um, I'm curious from Kaizen Creative Partnerships, from Netflix, what did you learn um, kind of in, in, obviously they're different businesses, but maybe what's like a lesson or two that you learned that you have brought into the social media world? Um, um, consistency uh, of application uh, with regard to brand. So like Sandwiches of History, I've got a logo. I say certain things. I repeat those certain things. I, I post every single day at noon. Um, so the idea is to be consistent and, and be thoughtful about how you put yourself out there in the world and whether that's a company or, or sandwiches of history <laughs> um, or any of the other social media channels I've got. It's, it's a matter of like, if you can do that, that's going to be, that's going to get you a pretty, pretty long way. If you can be consistent and be, and be thoughtful. That makes sense. And now that you say that, I'm really upset that after the intro to this podcast, I didn't say, let's give it a go. I really <laughs> missed that opportunity. That's, um, that's okay. That's my job, not yours. Thank you. I, I feel relieved. Um, you know, another thing that you and I talked about when we spoke before this call uh, about a month ago was I said, Barry, it seems like you're not a businessman. You're a businessman. Uh, to quote the great Jay-Z, um, you run a Patreon, you run a merch store, you have a real job. Um, you also make sandwiches. Sometimes you have to make like seven sandwiches in a day to make sure that you have content. Uh, you know, if you're going out of town, um, yep. you know, you have 
like 18 million different social media channels, followers that you got to engage and interact with. Um, how do you manage it all? It seems tough. Uh, um, I well, uh, my fiance might laugh at this in the other room, but um, <laughs> I, I try to try to keep it somewhat organized. Um, so, you know, I have a routine. I get up at five o'clock every day. Some days I run, some days I don't. Um, I go through the comments uh, sections on all different channel on the different social media channels, and uh, kind of react and, and respond and engage in, in that kind of thing. For that, then I work on actual editing. Um, uh, anything I need to edit for whatever social media channel is up next, San Francisco history in the chips with Barry, whatever it is. Uh, and then, you know, by that time it's probably eight o'clock, nine o'clock. So I've gotten done a lot of stuff before I even think about doing my day job. And then my day job, since I'm a partner at Kaizen Creative Partnership, there's a lot of flexibility in that. So I can do some work for, for an hour and then like for an hour and a half in the middle of the day, I can shoot sandwiches of history video and then go back and do work for kaizen um so it's just a matter of blocking out my calendar uh for for time setting up checklists um uh, for what i want to accomplish on for the day the day the, ideally the day, night before set that up um but yeah it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of movement <laughs> that's a uh, you know it's, it's cool i keep up with with a lot of the channels and it's, it's just very cool to see someone being positive and engaging and just not making toxic content that actually probably like serves a, a, a better purpose in the world. Um, Thank you. Thank you. I actually get that a lot from, from folks that they, they, they're appreciative from the, uh, for the respite from the typical, Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. And, and that kind of stuff. So I have, seen your dances. I, I have seen your dances at the beginning of in the I, say, I, I do a little bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. Sorry, I didn't mean to touch. Well, you. I'm just thinking, Jordan. I'm not going to have much to say now. When when you add, you're just like, all I ask is that you post post something once a week, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and, and so now I I feel I, I'm I'm going to feel even worse after uh, I hear uh, you know how how prodigious uh, Barry is and when he's yep. on the amount of content he's able to create. I mean, to be fair, like when I left Netflix, I had absolutely no social media experience whatsoever uh first of all um uh, i left i think instagram started in 2012. Um, right yeah so that's when i left netflix uh, i had been on facebook but i kept it private just to friends and family um twitter i was way late to youtube i hadn't done anything on uh and so i started playing around with it and having fun just trying to do stuff and my friends like oh you should i used to review potato chips on facebook for friends and he's like hey you should do a vlog and i'm like okay so i started doing one on youtube and then that's expanded now uh, you know to other things but that was my first foray and then i started doing sandwiches of history and i took the the mindset of i'm just going to do stuff i like to do and if other people like it cool and if not okay <laughs> that's uh that's the way it should be and and mark this has just been an extremely long con to get you to post more on social media <laughs> <laughs> uh, check right. that one off success that i can help jordan thank you and with that no um so you know, it's interesting in doing a little bit more research. I saw that your original sandwiches of history, you kind of tried it for a little and it, there wasn't much traction. And I don't want to use the word failed because that's a little harsh. Um, but you took a, a respite and came back later um, to start posting on TikTok. And I'm kind of curious, like, was there some spiritual awakening? Did you learn something? Did you try something new? Like, what, what was the big difference that you think made you successful round two? So 
one thing I've noticed is, um, or one thing, yeah, one thing I noticed was that uh, in order to get any traction on uh, social media, I had to kind of experiment. So I, I, I actually need to rewind to In the Chips with Barry, because I did, like I mentioned, I started doing vlog, and it was just two minutes of me rambling, and it was boring. And so <laughs> I like, okay, well, uh, you know what, I know Instagram a little bit now by this point. I'll go ahead and uh, post on Instagram. Well, Instagram wouldn't let you post videos to the wall that were more than, I think it was 60 seconds. Correct. And so I started doing reviews that were 60 seconds, but it sounded like I was rushed and fast and it was terrible. And then I came on, hit on the idea of, well, I could just record what I record, cut it down and edit it together, really quick edits and get the 60 seconds pretty easily. And it turned out it was hilarious. It was, it was pretty funny. And it started to take off. So with sandwiches of history, I decided, well, I'm going to try to do this differently because now they have stories. I'll do the video and stories and I'll do a photo on the wall. And it just sort of like, eh, and I'm like, you know what? It's not working. TikTok comes along. I take the, the videos from the stories on Instagram, complete with the Instagram tags on them and everything like that, stickers, put them on TikTok. They take off, like take off like crazy. I'm like, I should do more of these because uh, I'm just reposting old content. And so TikTok started taking off. And I said, well, wait a sec. Why don't I just take that same approach like I did within the chips and post videos to my wall? But I'll be, and the same thing happened and Instagram started to take off. Uh, so it was, it's, it's a matter of like, yeah, I, I, there was a hiatus for, uh, for um, Sandwiches of History because I sort of forgot my lesson from in the chips with Barry, which is if something isn't working, doesn't mean it's, bad it just means maybe you haven't hit the right way to do it that's a, a really good perspective to look at it and i think that can you know whether you're someone like me who's managing a company page whether you're someone like mark who's sharing things on social media you know like awards that Sligo's winning I, I just think that you know sometimes you got to repackage um mm -hmm. and it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing i think a lot of people are are scared to try as if you know they make a post and it doesn't get a lot of likes you can feel discouraged right? even though it's a vanity metric you know, it's kind of a bummer. And, and I've been posting every day on LinkedIn for six, eight months now. And finally get like three likes on a post. I'm like, damn, like, what did I do wrong? Like, I thought this was a banger, but I guess not. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, just sometimes uh, it, it takes quite a few tries and um, yeah, repackaging is the way to go. Well, I would say that doing social media for on behalf of a brand is a bit tougher, <laughs> quite a bit tougher than doing what I'm doing, right? Because I'm just... A goofball making sandwiches and there you go i do it every day and that's easy to do uh you know for you you have to try and figure out you know what are the things that i could share that are going to be engaging useful um and not just marketing materials which is i see one of the biggest fails i see on on social media with regards to business is if it comes off as marketing and it, it really needs to be more about the channel that you're in and what your position brand position is how those two come together and then providing value if you can 100 percent. Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting because I've, I've totally changed the brand voice of Saligo at least on social i mean mm -hmm. it's not like wacky or kooky or or, or silly but it's mm -hmm. it's more conversational it's more engaging i, I use i don't want to say like slang but maybe colloquialisms um, mm -hmm. and and you know you feature people you highlight employees um you know, share recap videos of, of events that are edited to look at, uh, you know, edited together that look real nice. And and in doing that, you know, it just 
makes people like your brand. And, and some one that I always think about is Docker and they have their whale and they have this really cool art style and they're constantly sharing things that aren't marketing or aren't a blog update. And of course, those things do need to be shared, but, you yeah. know, consistency is key, but also just being interesting and relatable. And I think I have to do that for a brand. You have to do that on, on all of your different channels and, yeah. um, it's a challenge. So, okay. Anyways, I'm talking about myself too much. Let me, let me rein it back in. Um, I have a few short questions that I'll, I'll kind of do rapid fire if that's okay. Sure. Um, you know, you've been interviewed by NBC taste Epicurious, uh, Mercury Gazette or Mercury news. Mer I forget Mercury which one. news. Yeah. Mercury news. Um, do you ever feel, and, and again, I'm asking this because I wanted to talk about Netflix and I wanted to talk about Kaizen and I wanted to get to know you on a business and technology side first. Mm -hmm. um, but do you ever feel like pigeonholed is the sandwich guy? No. <laughs> now, that's that, I would say that's what I'm most known for um, right at this point in time. But, uh, you know, for a long time, I was writing articles about Netflix and strategy and, and uh, going around doing speaking engagements about Netflix and, and how we grew and that kind of stuff. So that, I was known for that at that time. So for me, it's just, uh, you know, this is fun to do. Um, who knows? Maybe the work we're doing with Kaizen will be, no, I'll be known for that. Uh, so, and you know, I do, I have other social media accounts too. So <laughs> that's true, but yeah, I don't get recognized in public from those. So. Have you been recognized in public for uh, sandwiches? Uh, a few times in San Jose. Awesome. Well, that's yeah. good to know. I'm, I'm glad you're, you're gaining that fame. Getting, well, getting that, that fun. It's weird. Uh, cause I'm just a guy making sandwiches on social media. I don't, I'll think of it as like that big a deal, but people have been nice and some have been nervous and someone a picture with me and I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? That's a, that's good, man. I'm, I'm glad you're building your clout as social media influencers say nowadays. Oh, you know what? Um, there's, there's one other thing that translates from what I've been doing to um, marketing in general for companies. And that is um, highlighting customers, if you will. So like on, uh, in the chips with Barry, what I would, uh, I used to do a lot more of, and I haven't done it in a while is uh, guest review Tuesdays where basically people would do their version of in the chips with Barry. I would introduce them and then it would just be them and they'd get the stage. Uh, and likewise, I think companies benefit from highlighting their customers and their customers successes, not just with their product, but just in general um, and, and bringing them into feel part of the success of the company. That's um, not only a really good way to, to kind of include them, but also a way that you don't have to make a video that day, which is probably a nice, <laughs> yeah. nice respite. Yeah. It, it, it sure. reminds me yeah. of a yeah. rap in the in the 90s and 2000s where every song would feature a different rapper. And it's like collaboration is, is really important and it, it goes a long way. And it, it's cool that you do that because, yeah, it's, it's nice to make the fans um, feel feel a part of it. Right. Um, the next next rapid fire question. Yes. Um, What's your least favorite sandwich recipe and why is it the shrimp and raisin sandwich? <laughs> You're not, it's not the shrimp and raisin sandwich. It's the, uh, there's a bunch of them that are just terrible. Like the yeast sandwich, which was a <laughs> compressed yeast cake, fresh yeast mixed with uh, cream and then put on bread. Terrible. The oyster sandwich from 1909, which was chopped raw oysters mixed with olive oil and put on buttered bread. Like I love raw oysters. Not like that. <laughs> uh, so that was terrible there was a goblin sandwich which is uh i can't remember it was donut was the bread cut in half and you're like hey this is a great great idea and it is a good great start idea. avocado 
and then it just went downhill from there. It was not good. Wow. <laughs> Mark, uh, your lunch tomorrow might be an oyster sandwich if I get a, a hold of your ordering platform. Well, that, that just sounded like a, a waste of perfectly good oysters, but... Uh... <laughs> yes, I completely agree. Uh, all, all in the name of sandwich science. So, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll give Barry a pass for that. <laughs> yeah, I did not um, as long as you're not recommending him. Um, no. the, the next thing that, that uh, my wife gives me trouble for is I have way too many condiments in the fridge. I know you're a condiment guy. Um, yes. Recently, I've, I've kind of gone on a kick. I've, I've been with, uh, I've been using Calabrian chilies, which I love. Zatar, the Middle Eastern seasoning. Yep. Salsa chiltepin, which is like a tiny bird's eye chili pepper salsa. Nice. Um, you know, peanut sauce. I have way too many, but I, I'm curious if, you know, what are your, maybe not go-tos, but, you know, three unique ones that you have that maybe you have, maybe you haven't shared on, on sandwiches of history. Sure. Uh, Bomba sauce, which is the Calabrian chili sauce from Trader Joe's, uh, but really any Calabrian chili, uh, fermented Calabrian chili. Um, uh, salsa matcha, which is made with a bunch of different chilies and nuts. Uh, and we there's a recipe we follow from the New York Times cooking uh, section that just makes a, a fantastic one. Um, what else? I I guess Japanese barbecue sauce, bachan. That's quite good. It's a, a sweet, savory uh, combination that's delicious. Um, I love crystal hot sauce. <laughs> I love Frank's hot, red hot, hot sauce as well. Grillo's pickles. Um, oh, Grillo's are the best. Bobby's boat sauce, which is out of Portland, is this. It's almost, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's really good. It's got ginger, it's got tomato, it's got chilies. It's, it's really, really good. Bobby's boat sauce. Um, I could, yeah, I could, I could keep going. <laughs> I get in trouble for having too many condiments too. Uh, it's 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 a it's a challenge we all face. Mark, I'm curious. Any uh, any secret toppings that you use? Oh, secret top. You know, I don't. I, it's, I I'm not quite the same uh, sandwich artist, but you know, I like uh, condiment. I, I like a harissa actually, yes. and like all the different all the different kinds. Like di like just. You know, you get into it, and they're like some of them are so different than than you know, just like hot sauces. So I, I like I like the the North African uh, you nice. know version of hot sauce. That's my go-to. Nice, yeah, is great. Point. That is a, a great call. I like. I didn't a little out of left field, but I like it, Mark. Um, so <laughs> we've been talking for a while. I have two more um, kind of just rapid fire questions, um, and then I have kind of a, a slightly more serious one, and then I actually have a present for you, Barry. Um, so just, out, you know, before I do that, Mark, I'm just curious, is there anything that um, I know I've kind of ran you out because I'm talking so much, but any, anything? No, I want to, I want to, I want to get to it and see this present. All right. <laughs> um, okay. Two more uh, quick questions before the serious one. What's the story behind the shirts, Barry? You have a lot of floral patterns and yeah. they're super recognizable whenever I'm scrolling on Instagram. What's uh, what's the story behind it? I just in in my life, not just sandwiches of history, but in my life, I am tired of the tyranny of plaid uh, that is in men's dress shirts. That's all you see is plaids, stripes, solids. And it's like, give me something else. And so I have, uh, at, with the help of my fiance, who has found a lot of these, um, have been seeking out dress shirts that actually have interesting patterns because uh, I just I'm, I'm just so tired of same old same old same old and it, ironically the company that has the most of these types of shirts is Land's End and, and you talk about the tyranny of plaid <laughs> they kind of own that 
but every once in a while they'll have a shirt like this on there and you have to buy it quickly because it'll disappear quickly uh and that's uh, it's just i don't know just i i just want something interesting to wear i think uh they owe you commission for that answer oh my um, god i've sold so many units for those guys and they they know it they know it they owe me tag them on instagram oh i've tagged them on it i've tagged them a lot of times and got <laughs> no response i'm like they're like why should we why should we pay you you do it for free so all right. Well, with that, um, there's actually a question from my wife. Uh, I made my wife a caprese sandwich this weekend. And uh, while eating it, she got really upset. And I was like, what's going on? And she said, I can never get a sandwich to have the ingredients not fall out. And I'm curious, what is what am I doing wrong in making sandwiches that make the ingredients fall out? And do you have any tips for the sandwich makers out there? Well, what so caprese sandwich, tomato, basil, and fresh mozzarella, right? Uh, I did arugula too. Okay, good. I, I like that. Uh, the mozzarella, what size was the mozzarella you, you've used? Like, you know, uh, uh, no, uh, that's my problem. Yeah, you use it. Basically, you need to have it so that the, the slices fit the bread because otherwise the thing will just fall out. So if you're using the little balls, they're just going to like roll out. Um, so, so to me, it's, it's a matter of, layering and then using the, the and making sure the ingredients fit the bread properly that's um you know that makes sense because i actually made an, another one um today and i used a much bigger slice of tomato these larger mozzarella and uh like the song by Ludacris, there was no rolling out which was nice. <laughs> <laughs> by the way um, i'm gonna make a recommendation you both need to try this uh sandwich it's from uh turkey and the wolf in new orleans it's called the tomato and it is ridiculous you look at the ingredients you're like okay this is interesting and then you taste it and your mind is blown at how good it is i've so, i've seen that many times and and mark I, on your page barry and and yeah. mark i'll be sure to send you that recipe also the head chef of turkey and the wolf oh, was on a uh, iron chef recently i believe and i saw him and i was like i know this guy looks familiar and i was like oh i've seen him on sandwiches of history yeah I'm yeah, so yeah, excited. He's, yeah he was on iron chef on netflix he didn't um, win, but hey uh, well, we have our homework, so I, I know what that is. <laughs> yes. Okay. So let me let, let me round this out with a slightly more serious question before presenting you um, with this gift. Um, I know we touched on this a little bit, but I'm a social media manager, and I think that a majority of social media is somewhere between unhealthy and toxic. I think LinkedIn is kind of a little bit separate because it's so business oriented, but you know, there's problems with uh you know people's body images there's problems with dietary advice there's problems with uh, you know just young children trying to become famous for doing dangerous or goofy or silly things um mm -hmm. and, and obviously you're, you're you're no part of that which is nice but i'm kind of curious like what's your take on that and, and and you know is there anything that you're doing consciously or maybe subconsciously to to avoid negativity on on social media uh yeah well i'm definitely well aware of all the issues the surrounding social media with regards to to things that are going on with society and body image and that, that sort of stuff um i what i try to do is just keep it positive like don't get stressed out over whether a hot dog is a sandwich because it doesn't matter if it's like just don't worry about stuff like that don't and and if someone's negative in the comments i can kind of tell if they're if they're they can be brought around uh, by how they write what they write uh, sometimes there are people who write comments that are just absolutely terrible and they need to be blocked and so i block them because i don't want to waste my time um 
but for me, I just I know that for for I know for a fact there are families watching, kids watching, um, and to me that's a responsibility I have to make sure that I'm not off swearing and going crazy. You you know, and I'm not against swearing in in general. I I do it for emphasis in real life all the time, but um, sandwiches of history. There's no real reason to right. There's no there's no reason to to do that sort of thing. So I just sort of keep it positive, keep it light, uh, and just try to be you know kind of the mellow guy making sandwiches that you can just hang out with and have a sandwich at noon every day at uh, Pacific noon Pacific time every day. That's uh, that's awesome, man. Uh, I, I love that, you know, there's people out there working to spread positivity. Yeah. Um, with that being said, let me see if I can get this presenting window to work. Um, I'm going to share my screen. All right. Uh, and of course it's not letting me, let's see one sec. Sorry about this. Uh, and it won't let me. Well, I'll tell you what I uh, am here to share with you. Um, after doing some deep dive, sorry, technical difficulties happen. Um, we're not all as good as Netflix. Um, Netflix but, is not always good. Come on. Yeah, that's true. I, I've lucked out with them. But um, in doing a little social media stalking, something that I learned is um, you like to try meat substitutes. You're not I a do. vegetarian, but you like yep. to try meat substitutes. Yeah. Um, and uh recently um not by choice but by cholesterol i decided to go vegan uh not vegan vegetarian okay and so i've i've been um six weeks about uh, at this point and, and you know you crave meat sometimes and sure. um what i did was i created a tuna salad substitute that is banging and i made an entire recipe for you you are in no way obligated to make the sandwich you are in no way obligated uh to share the sandwich but if you do i'll be watching okay um let me just give you a quick rundown you can tell me what you think and then okay. uh, i'll be out of your hair and we can get back to it okay. um, i'm gonna take some sourdough you're going to give it a pretty hard sear with a little bit of olive oil so you got some nice crispy sourdough i like it from there you take a can of garbanzo beans that are washed and drained okay. as well as one large avocado mm -hmm. you put them in a bowl and mash them up not too uh not too fine like blended guacamole but not too chunky you kind of want that tuna salad consistency um, you're going to take some radishes some green onions and tomatoes and dice those pretty fine mm -hmm. um, in addition you're going to take some mayonnaise some dijon some relish salt pepper paprika and you're going to give that a mix that's okay. your tuna salad substitute if you will all right you're going to top that piece of toast with a slice of sharp white cheddar cheese okay add your add your tuna salad mix top it with arugula give it a glug of olive oil and crown your king okay the top slice of bread i'm just curious right. first of all the thoughts and let me give you a, a plus up when uh, after i hear your thoughts so a that sounds really tasty um i would like to try that my 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 fiance who is vegetarian almost vegan makes something not exactly the same uh to to substitute as well she throws dill in which is something you Ooh. might think about uh as well and the other thing is why not put that cheese on top and make it a tuna melt but, I, cool. I I think you got to I think that's two plus ups dill in a in a, a grilled cheese tuna melt I like that yeah um, no it sounds delicious fantastic I will send you the recipe that I I have all the ingredients and the numbers that I've used um, all right made the sandwich about three times my wife absolutely loves it too she's vegetarian um, okay. the, the plus up that I thought of is it's kind of an easy layup but you got to add chips to something like this oh yeah chips. Right? Yeah, um, chips would be chips would be good. Uh, Old Bay would be good as well. Ooh, okay. Well, we're we're just creating recipes with this. I know. Point. I can do this. Um, one. Sorry. 
with that in mind, I will be sure to share this uh, Google Doc with you. I added a picture of the sandwich to to prove that I not only made it, but it doesn't look disgusting. It actually looks very uh, tasty. It doesn't um, sound disgusting. I don't know why you would think that it would look disgusting. I, hey, I'm 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 preaching to the sandwich king. I gotta I gotta stay humble over here. But with that in mind, um, I just wanted to say, uh, Mark, as always, thank you for being an excellent co-host. Um, Barry, this was a super interesting dive covering not only sandwiches and chips, of course, but also um, kind of your your role at Netflix, um, your role at Kaizen Creative Partnership, which um, I'm really excited to try and figure out what videos for what company you're producing. Um, I won't say anything about it, but I'm still interested. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you very much for your time today. Um, just your participation, your, your general attitude, and the fact that you're kind of continually working not only to entertain people, but to do so in a positive way. So thank you so much for joining the Saligo Technology Leaders podcast. Um, if you are out there and you haven't been made aware, this is Barry Enderwick of Sandwiches of History. You can find him on Reddit. You can find him on TikTok. You can find him on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter. Uh, he has a Patreon if you're interested in really diving deep into the history of sandwiches um i could not recommend his page highly enough um, thank you yeah barry thank you so much for joining us i, I really thank, do appreciate thanks it thanks for having me on and for all the kind words that was uh, i I'm, i don't know what to say but thank you <laughs> i appreciate absolutely. it it was a lot of fun chatting with you guys absolutely thanks. well thank you again thanks, barry. it was a pleasure i'm going to end this recording um but to everyone out there listening thanks for joining the podcast um stick around for a sec barry and uh then we can circle uh back but Everyone for listening. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.